get a chance to talk to you just one-on-one, -on -one, and, I, and I asked you the question, do you believe that God loves you? Uh, my guess is the vast majority of those conversations, you would say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe God loves me. My challenge this morning is to help you understand that God's love for you is so much deeper than even you believe right now. Most of us are like, yeah, man, I, I believe that God loves me. But way too often we, no, not way too often, always we underestimate the love that God has for us. In the book of Job, chapter 42, verse 5, it's a, a book about a man's life in the Old Testament and things are going great for him and then things go really incredibly tragically bad for him and he has an interaction with God and things wind up being great for him at the end but not until he goes through some stuff the very end in chapter 42 verse 5 he says this I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eyes see you I had heard of you by the hearing of of my ear or of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Um, the first three years, three years, I just said, the first three weeks, it felt like years to you, the first three weeks of this series, uh, we were really setting a foundation for what it looks like to grow in Christ. Uh, week one, if you remember, we said Jesus is bigger and closer than you could even imagine. In fact, I think what I said is Jesus is even bigger than you can imagine and closer than you can dare believe. And in week two, we set another foundation that was we are empty to save and change our own lives. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you will never be able to change your own life, save your own life. We have to walk through the door of despair, where we say, I cannot do it. I am broken and in need. And when we walk through the door of despair, we enter into the life that we long for, a garden of joy where Christ meets us. And last week, Austin taught us that this life is found in union with Christ. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not God, then me, or God and me, it's God in me. And that was kind of the foundation that was being set for us to then now, over the next number of weeks, talk about what does it actually mean to change? How do I actually change? What are the dynamics that help me change? And I want to tell you this morning that everything begins with a deeper understanding of God's love. Now, it's one thing to hear that you're loved, right? It's a whole other thing to actually see that you're loved. That's what Job was saying. Yo, 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 God, I heard about you before. My eyes had heard, heard of you, or excuse me, my, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. We need to 
not just know about God's love, we need to know God's love. And did you know that the Bible actually doesn't just say that God loves us? The Bible definitely says that God loves us, but flip over with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Most of chapter 4, at least the second half, is talking about God's love and our love. But we read in verse 16, he says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Right? God does love us. And then he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Love for the God of the Bible is not one activity among others. All right? Love defines who Jesus is most deeply. A love so great and so free that it could not be contained within the uproarious joy of Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen to this. Instead, it spilled out to create and embrace finite and fallen humans into it. Divine love is inherently spreading, engulfing, embracing, overflowing. If you are a Christian, God made you so that he could love you. From Dane Ortland's book, Deeper. I need you to hear this this morning. Understanding Jesus' love for you is not the beginning of growing in Christ. Way too often that's what we think. Look, I get to know that Jesus loves me, and then I say yes to him because of his death and his resurrection, and, and so that's like how I start. But understanding the depth of God's love for you is not just how you start growing in Christ. It's also how you continue growing in Christ. It is the beginning and the middle and the end of growing in Christ. You will never outgrow it. You will never mature out of it. You will never no longer need it. It will never become irrelevant to your growth. You will never get above it. You will never sink below it. You have to have and understand the depth of Christ's love for you if you're actually going to grow in Christ. It's not something that you just kind of get a little bit of a handle on and then say, oh, that's awesome. Now let me move on to the strategies that are really going to help me grow in Christ. We grow in Christ, Ortland says, no further than we enjoy his embrace of us. His tender, mighty, irreversible embrace into his own divine heart. The love that God has for you is the spiritual air that you breathe. It, it, it is the very nourishing food you need on the journey in growth in Christ. Like the internet could not survive without a, another meme last week of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. It is the very thing you need. All right, here's what I need you to do. You got to come up with a new metaphor for God's love. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell him a, a new metaphor for God's love and how much you need it, go. <laughs> I see some people laughing, which tells you there's some, probably some uh, rather interesting metaphors that were just used to explain the love that Christ has for us. Uh, back in week one, one of the things that we learned together is that Christ's desire to see us grow is even greater than our own desire to grow. That's why he sits at the right hand of the Father right now interceding in our behalf. That's what he is literally doing. That is his work right now. He 
cares about your growth even more than you do. A small glimpse into the heart of Christ. I'd like to look at a passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. You can pull out your phone and pull it up on your Bible app. It will be up on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 3, there is this kind of nuclear prayer that Paul has in the middle. But it's interesting because he, he places this prayer, okay, right after a, a long explanation on the beauty and amazing good news that it is that not only Jews have access to God the Father through Christ, but also Gentiles. In other words, all humanity now has access to having our sins forgiven, to experience life in the family of God to find life and life to the full, as Jesus said. And he's celebrating this awesomeness, and then he drops this prayer. And then right after the prayer, he's going to talk about why it's so important that we mature and grow up, right? Like that's what we want for every single one of our kids. Every single one of us, we want to see people mature and grow. And even when we get older, they're still maturing and growing, right? I'm still growing. I'm still learning. We all want that for the people that we know and love. We want to see that continual growth. And, and, and Paul's about to talk about it, but, but he's giving us something in this nuclear prayer that kind of is going to at least, I, I think it's a little surprising. Let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. His prayer for the Ephesians. Now, it's not just his prayer for the Ephesians. It is also his prayer for you and I. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It was like, yo, everybody is made in the image of God. Image bearers, beauty, intentionality, job to do. We represent Christ. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with what? Power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have what? Power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, this is the good stuff. But it's a little bit surprising. Paul prays for the Ephesians. This is his prayer for them. Really, it's his prayer for every Christian, every follower of Jesus. It's his prayer for you and I. It is, I believe, the very prayer of Jesus' own heart. What he is praying for you right now as he sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And it's not what I would have anticipated it might be. Especially if I know Paul's about to talk about maturing and growing in Christ right after this. So this is his setup for that. What he says here is that we would have power. Now... What is it for? Not for greater obedience. Not for more fruitfulness. 
His prayer is not that false teaching would be stamped out or that we would have a deeper understanding of doctrine or even that the gospel would spread more widely. All of those things are great things, things we should be praying for. They're all important and necessary. But that's not what he prays for the Ephesians for or for you and I for. He prays for power, not for miracles, not to evangelize, not to change society, or even to help the poor and those in need. Although, again, those are great things that God wants to give us power for, but that's not what Paul prays for here. What does he pray that we would have power to do? To know how much Jesus loves us. That's not what I would have thought he would have prayed that we would have power to do. But that's the one thing that he cares about. Now, what's interesting is that he's not praying this to people who are not yet Christians. These are all people who are following Jesus already. Okay? You cannot be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if you don't already know about Jesus' love. You have to not only know about his love, you actually have to have accepted his love. You have to say, I not only believe, but I'm going to put my trust in that love. And yet, even though these are people who already know about God's love, Paul's prayer for them, the thing that he desires for them, is that they would have power to know what? The love that Jesus has, how huge it is, wide it is, deep it is, long it is, high it is. That's what he wants the Ephesians, and us to know this morning. Now, there's knowing, right? And there's knowing. You know what I'm saying? In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, they know each other. But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says that, and Adam knew his wife, And it is another type of knowing. Now, what they mean there is that though Adam knew Eve and Eve knew Adam, they were familiar with each other, that evening they knew each other. You see, it's one thing for me to talk to you about honey, right? I could, not right now, but I probably, if I learned about it, could talk about the chemical makeup of what makes honey, honey, and I could tell you all about it and how it's produced, and I could say to you, do you know about honey? And you could say to me, yes, I know about honey. But if I were to take some wildflower honey that was recently made from a farm south of Caledonia, and I dipped a little spoon in that, and then placed it on your tongue, you would know honey in a different way. I can talk to you all about the great white shark, its beauty and its power. I could show you pictures of it. But it would be a wholly another thing if I brought you to South Africa, drove you out in a boat, gave you a snorkel and a pair of goggles, and I pushed your butt overboard. You would know the power of the great white shark in a very different way. Am I right? See, there's knowing and there's knowing. Look, 
If you are here today, you probably know of God's love. But I'm trying this morning to help my own soul and yours as well, not just know, but know. Um, Psalm 139. David says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Uh, the Hebrew word for to know is the word yada. We, we often say yada, yada, yada. I get it. I get it. Literally where that comes from. The word yada is to know. Uh, this past summer, Austin and I had the privilege of uh, doing a study trip in Israel. And we were being uh, told about this word. And that it is not just the like general we know about, but it is the intimate, experiential knowing. And so uh, our, our teacher, uh, Brad, he, he, uh, he was like, hey, uh, I'm gonna, he told us all about the desert and the, where the Israelites wandered for 40 years and you know, the wilderness and, and what it meant. And he was telling us all about it while we were driving on the bus and uh, then the bus stopped, and he said, all right, now you know about it, but now you're about to yada it. And we got out, and it was all about 95 degrees, and it was barren and nothing, and we were at the edge of a cliff that we were about to walk down into the deep valley of just nothingness and walk through it in the heat of the day for about three hours. You see, we knew about it, but we yadad the wilderness. And I'm so glad that you know of the love of Jesus. But today I want you to yada the love of Jesus. So we probably need to ask ourselves the question, what is this love of Christ? Okay? What is it? Uh, is it niceness? Is that what it means that the love of God, the love of Jesus for us, is that Jesus is just nice, he's just Laid back, chill dude, really nice guy. Is that what it means that God's... Nope. That's not what it means. Because Jesus, the same Jesus that loves us also, with his own hands, formed a whip. And went into the temple court. And started chasing some of the money changers out that were defaming his father's house. Flipping over tables. Now, not like the meme that you're seeing all over social media of Jesus literally flipping. No, flipping tables over, okay? Uh, is this love of Christ, is it simply a refusal to judge people's actions? Like, nah, man, Jesus, he's cool like that. Like, you'd be all right. He just loves you. He doesn't really care what you do. He just is always... A... Nope. Revelation 1.16 and 2.12 tells us that judgment will one day come out of his mouth like a sharp double-edged sword. Jesus is not a spineless pushover. He's not just an, an old grandfather in the sky that, that you put a token in and, and you get a, a, a wish from. He's not just a big teddy bear that when you need him, you, you run and, and, and jump and get a hug and, 
and then, well, next time I'll see you again. So what is it? Ortland says it this way. The love of Christ is his settled, unwavering heart of affection for sinners and sufferers. And only sinners and sufferers. When Jesus loves, Jesus is Jesus. He is being true to his own innermost depths. He doesn't have to work himself up to love. Like a balloon stretched thin with water, he is filled to the brim with love and ready to break forth upon the most timid request for it. Love is who Jesus most deeply, most naturally is. If we were to look back at verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians 3, Apostle Paul says that he hopes and prays that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled to the full measure or all the measure, to the measure of all the fullness of God. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to understand that just as God is infinite, God's love is infinite. You'll never find the top of it. You'll never experience the bottom of it. You'll never have too much. You'll never run out. It'll never be too far to the east or the west. It's bigger than you could ever even begin to imagine. God's love for you is overwhelming. Uh, famous 18th century preacher, Jonathan Edwards, he said this. His essence being love, he is, as it were, an infinite ocean of love without shores and bottom, yes, and without a surface. Just as God is infinite, so is Jesus' love. It's a kind of uh, similar to the love that, that a father or mother has for their kid. I, I heard preachers talk about this before I had kids. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm sh I get it. I'm sure that's true. Until I had a little girl. Uh, my daughter, Bella, I think there's a little picture of us. Look at that, pre-beard people. When, uh, when Bella was about three years old, um, I'm, the, I'm the nighttime routine. Brenda tends to be the morning routine. I don't like mornings. She loves them. Uh, I love nights. So I'm the night guy. So I put the kids to bed. And I remember when Bella was three, uh, I think I've shared a little of this story before, but uh, she has a little beauty mark right by her eye, and uh, I called it her pepper. And so I would, I would say, Daddy needs some pepper, and I'd get a kiss over there. And then I'd be like, oh, well, if you have pepper, you need some salt. So I, Daddy needs some salt, so then I'd kiss the other side that didn't have any, and we'd go back and forth, and that turned into uh, a kiss that we still do. To this day, she's 17, it's all air kisses now, but it's all right. 
before she goes to bed every night, we'll do our kiss. And it's salt and pepper and cheek and cheek and forehead and nose. And I remember when she was about uh, this age, about six or seven, I was laying in bed with her, putting her to sleep. And we had just done our kiss. And I think we had just prayed and I was saying to her, oh, baby, I love you so much. I was just feeling that overwhelming, like I can't even begin to describe to you. And uh, my daughter is a little competitive. And so she said, well, I love you more. And I said, no, baby, I love you most. And she said, I love you mostest. And I looked at her and I said, honey, you will never understand until maybe one day if God allows you to have kids of your own, there's no way you could love me more. So the end of our kiss, we hug. And then the goal is to, whenever I let go, to say, love you most first. And so we hug. And I say, I love you. And she says, I love you. And then we both go, most. And we both claim to win every single time. Maybe daddy's a little competitive too. That kind of love that the father has for us is infinitely more than the kind of love that I even have for my daughter. But if I, as a fallen human father, filled with flaws that my kids are probably going to need multiple years of counseling sessions to work through, how much more a perfect father with perfect, infinite love wants to pour out on you. Now, I think that there's a couple of ways that, a couple of barriers that you may be experiencing, even in this moment right now. Uh, the first, I think, kind of common barrier, to be honest, is that some of us look at our own lives and the pain that we've experienced, and you have a really hard time with this conversation. Uh, in fact, probably having a little bit of a cynical response. Really? Really? You're going to tell me about Jesus' love? Oh, yeah, but do you know my life? Have you experienced what I've experienced, T? The trauma that I've experienced, what people have done to me, how I've been victimized, abused, hurt, discarded, thrown away. You want to talk about God's love? Baloney. Don't see it, don't buy it. In fact, my life actually disproves God's love. If you're feeling that this morning, first of all, I want you to know how deeply sorry I, but way more than me, God is for what you've experienced. But I think you may be looking at the wrong life. Your life doesn't disprove Christ's love. His life proves it. Your life doesn't disprove God's love. His love proves it. Now, some of you may be here, though, this morning, and you may think, man, it's not what people have done to me. It's actually what I've done to people. Man, I know who I am. 
and I know I should be better by now. And I keep finding myself falling into the same stupid patterns. I know what I'm like, and I've been trying, and I, I ought to be better, but I'm not. And there's just no way God could keep loving me. I, I don't even love me anymore. I, I have such a hard time even loving myself that there's no way that God's reservoir could be that big, that deep. Like, I'm sick of me. How much more would God be sick of me? I know how disappointed he must be in my life. And to you, you need to hear these words and you need to hear them again and again and again. Do you realize how God treats his children who mistreat his love? He loves them all the fiercer. Some of you don't believe that right now. But I'm telling you, it's true. Uh, a few years ago, I had the privilege of uh, going for a week to Zambia in Africa to an organization called Poetis that uh, trains and disciples uh, young leaders uh, from around Africa and uh, Europe and uh, the States. And I was there to teach for a week at the discipleship school. And at the end of the week, um, I had the privilege of going and visiting uh, Victoria Falls. Uh, Victoria Falls is this absolutely unbelievable, amazing, in fact, I think there's a little video of it that I took when I was there, uh, waterfall. In fact, it is, uh, in the rainy season, uh, produces the largest sheet of falling water in the world. And I remember just seeing like how unbelievable that place was. And the thought of me somehow single-handedly stopping the flow of water, even for a second, is preposterous and ridiculous. No matter what I did, no matter how long I tried to work at it, there is zero way for me to stop the flow of the Zambezi River cascading over those falls. And in that same way, you, friends, regardless of what's happened to you or what you've done, could ever slow, even for a minute, the overwhelming, infinite love that Jesus has for you. And if you want to grow in Christ, it will begin and continue and end with an ever-deepening understanding, loving, knowing, yet dying of that love that he pours out on your life day after day after day. Ortland says, whether you have ignored it, neglected it, squandered it, misunderstood it, or hardened yourself to it, the Lord Jesus approaches you today not with arms crossed, but with arms open the very position in which he hung on the cross. And he says to you, none of that matters right now. Don't give it another thought. All that matters now is you and me. Friends, there's no homework for you to do this week. I know when we talk about growing in Christ, it's like, okay, so what do I need to do? And it's not that there's nothing you need to do. We'll talk about some of that stuff in the weeks to come. But this is something that you need to believe. 
that you need to participate in, pursue, and simply sit in, soak in, bathe in, rinse in, walk in, fall in, settle in, sleep in, the love that Jesus has for you. And that's what I would like for you to do this morning. Sing it, let it wash over you. Ask God for deeper understanding of that love because that's where growth in Christ starts and keeps going back to. You'll never get beyond it. He doesn't want you to. Let's worship him this morning.